We have been walking through this series. We just started it last week on the purpose of the church, calling this series The Church, Complete in Christ. It's what we are and it's what we're becoming. And last week we looked at the purpose statement of our church, been that for the last 20 years. It's a biblical concept that we're here to see everyone on earth presented complete in Christ. A huge task, but we serve a huge God, amen? And this week we're going to look at the vision for our church. What's God's vision? What's this kind of place going to look like? That's going to have that end of presenting everyone complete in Christ. But I need some help. We're going to start with some participation. I need three volunteers. Who, and I'm not, I'm not going to tell you what you're going to do, but I want to see who is bold enough, brave enough to volunteer for me. I need three hands. Come on. All right, Evan. Yep, we got Danny. And one more. I think, well, yeah, we're going to have to, in the back, in the back. What's your name? Miguel? Come on up here, Miguel. All right, come on up, guys. Come on up. Now, I've got each of you, I've got you a line, all right? One line, okay? You're going to rehearse this in your head. Say it over and over again until you're ready to, to rehearse it, to say it for the whole church. Here's, here's yours. Now, you stand right here, Evan. Now, Danny, I'm going to have you in the middle. And then Miguel, right over here. You're right here. All right, now, here's, what's, here's the scenario, all right? The three of you are workers, and you are at the roadside. It's a hot day. And you are breaking stones. This is your living. This is your, this is your job. All right? Now, the first guy here in line is very unhappy. Show me your unhappy face, Evan. Oh, man. So bummed out. All right? So he's unhappy. Now, Danny, you're just like, okay. So you're like, you're not, you're not, it's not terrible. It's not wonderful. You're just kind of right in there in the middle. Now, Miguel, you're happy. Give me your best happy face. Oh, wow. We got some budding thespians up here. All right, now. Uh, we're going to have a passerby that will be played by me, okay? Now, I come up to the, the first person breaking stones, and he's unhappy. And I say, Evan, why are you so unhappy? To which Evan responds, I am breaking stones. He says, I am breaking stones. Why do you think I'm unhappy? It's hot. This is terrible work. I'm unhappy because I have to sit here for my job breaking stones. It's awful. Thanks for asking. Move along. Okay, so I do move along, and I come up to Danny, and I say, Danny, you look like you're just all right. What, why, what, what, how are you feeling? What, why are you just okay? And she says, I am making a living. She goes, I'm making a living. So she has, I have a realistic view on this. It is what it is. I could have better jobs with better benefits, but I'm putting food on the table for my family. It's, it's okay. But then I come up to Miguel. I say, Miguel, you look so happy. I've never met this guy in my life, and I'm putting my hands all over him, right? Welcome to the family, Miguel. Thank you. All right. I say, Miguel, why are you so happy? These two, they're just, they're angry, and they're okay, but you are having a blast breaking rocks. Why are you so happy? To which Miguel responds, I'm building a temple. I'm building a temple. Miguel says, I know what I'm doing. See, Miguel has vision. He says, we're building a temple. We're building a temple for our king. And our king is going to come. He's going to live in this temple. There's going to be these huge pools out back. We can go swimming. These grand dance halls. Well, he's going to invite us all in to feast with him, to dance with him, to enjoy him. So yeah, in the moment, breaking stones, life could be better. But I know where this is all going. We're building a temple. See, the first two, just they're looking downward at the task. But Miguel is looking forward at the vision of what the Breaking Stones is all about. Let's give our thespians some hands, right? You guys can just have those. Those are just souvenirs. Yeah, yeah. I autographed them on the back, so it's good. No, that's going to... No, you didn't. I didn't. I didn't. That's a lie, Lord. All right. Um, so you see the difference. We're talking about vision this morning. 
And when we work, the manner in which we work is going to be different whether or not we have a vision for why it is that we're working. To put it another way, there's this, there's this French author that I really like. I'm not going to try to say his name. Okay, you know me. Of course I'm going to try to say his name. Antoine de Saint-Esprit. Right? Was that très bien? All right. So, so what, what Anton says, he says this, and he, and he puts it in a slightly different context, but it's the same idea. He says, if you want to build a ship, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather wood, divide work, and give orders. So this is the wrong focus. If you're going to try to build a ship, you don't just come up and say, hey, who's going to gather some wood for me? And who's going to nail that wood together? And who's going to do some back-breaking work to build this thing? Right? It does not sound enticing. It does not sound inviting. not sound favorable to do. But if he says instead... Instead of just coming up and saying what everybody's going to be working on, he says, if you teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. He says, you cast a vision. You tell them, man, there are places in this world with, with islands you have never seen before. Creatures that have never been discovered. And there are places to go that will just blow your mind. And oh yeah, we've got to build a boat to be able to get out there and go see them. But if you, if you cast this vision for why we're going, everyone jumps in and says, let's get this boat built so that we can see this vision become realized. Would you close your eyes for a second for me? I want you to, I want you to envision your life. What, what, is, what do you want? What's the vision for your life? Well, what do you want life to look like tomorrow? Well, what do you want life to look like a, a week from now? What do you want life to look like a month from now? A year from now? Five years? 20 years down the road? And what do, you want, what do you want family life to look like? What do you want your kids to be doing? What do you want your marriage to look like? And down the road, what do, you want, what do you want work to look like? What do you want retirement to look like? What do you want your finances to look like? Now, way more important, we think to ourselves, what, as Christ followers, what's God's vision for my life? What's God want my life to look like a year from now, five years from now, 20 years from now? Some of us say, we have no idea. I've never even thought about that. And most importantly, what's God's vision for our lives together five years, 20 years from now? And you can open your eyes. If, if, if we want to engage into this process, the process of what God's doing in his church, we've got to paint a picture. We've got to cast a vision for what this looks like. This isn't just, hey, come here week after week and put some money in an offering plate and, and paint this wall and teach this Sunday school class and, and do this job and do that job. We need to cast a vision, God's vision, for what he wants this group of people to look like, what he wants us to become, what he wants us to be doing. See, we're not just breaking stones. We're building a temple. And I don't mean a building. God's people, we are his temple for the king to come feast with us and to know him as our personal father God. Last week, we looked at the mission statement. We pulled it right out of Scripture. This, is, this was Paul's mission. He said, this is what I, everything I do in my life is aimed toward this end, and it was to present everyone complete in Christ. Do you say that with me? Present everyone complete in Christ. One more time. Present everyone complete in Christ. I want this on the tip of our tongues, on the forefront of our minds, so that we know where we're going with all this, what we're called to do. And what we want to see is we want to engage people into the process of seeing every single person on earth fully satisfied with who Jesus is for them and for us. To become, to look just like him. And to follow him. To become mature, complete in him. Knowing what we already have in him. And to go out into this world and to bring others into that process.
That's what we're called to. But that's lofty and abstract, isn't it? What in the world does that mean? What does that look like? So we want to unpack that. We want to cast a vision for what kind of people and what kind of activity we're called into to see this end come to fruition. And so the last couple of years, we've been working on just that, a vision for our church. And we've had a couple of leadership retreats where we got together as a church family to pray and get into God's word together. Ed Trenner came up, helped us walk through some some thinking and some praying and some scripture reading. And, And the elders and the staff, we've been talking, we've been brainstorming, say, God, what is your vision for our church? And we believe, based on his word, We're going to cast a vision for what this place should look like and what we should be doing. The vision for Peninsula Grace is this, that we are a gospel-centered community reproducing disciples of Jesus. A gospel-centered community reproducing disciples of Jesus. We're going to break that down. Next week, we're going to look at the second half. This week, we're going to look at a gospel-centered community, what it means to to look like and be a gospel-centered community. So we're just going to look at three parts. We're going to look at the gospel. What is the gospel? And what does it mean to be gospel-centered? And finally, what does it mean to be a gospel-centered community? So first of all, if we're going to be gospel-centered, we need to go what the gospel is, right? What is the gospel? Well, the word gospel, it simply means good news, It means good news, so it could be referring to any good news. Hey, did you hear the government's not shut down anymore? That's good news, right? Ooh, politics, too soon, Justin, right? Inbox is just chock full this week. I could just feel it coming, right? Especially from George. Um, So, no, or maybe you go to sports. Hey, it's good news. The Super Bowl's next week, and the Patriots in there. Maybe you hate the Patriots, and that's bad news. Oh, the Eagles are in it. It's it's good news. But, But in this case, we're not just saying we're centered around good news. Like, we just love news. Any kind of news, we're all in. We just love news. There's a specific message, a specific gospel, and that is the good news of Jesus. That's what we are centered around here at Peninsula Grace, or we aim to be. So what is that gospel? What's the good news of Jesus? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. I love this passage. He says, says, this is what it is. It's the most succinct version of the gospel I, I know of in Scripture. He says, let me remind you of the good news, or maybe your translation says gospel. I preached to you. This is the gospel I preached to you, and it is this good news that saves you. And he gives us, he says in verse 3, I passed on to you what was most important and what was passed on to me. So here's the most important part of the good news that you need to know. He says, Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. And he was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He says, here's the good news. Here's what we're centered around. That Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. But we have to recognize an extremely important clause in there, that if we, if we forget it, if we leave it out, we've missed the gospel. He says he's died for our sins, This is not just an historical fact that Jesus died and he was buried and he rose again. It's the fact that Jesus died for us because we were sinners, because we were separated from God, from a relationship with God. And so Jesus died in our place to bring us back, to win us back to our Father. Now this is good news. This is good news. And where do you put good news? You stick good news on the headline at the very front of the newspaper. You don't bury the good news in the back with Dear Abby and Sudoku, right? You put the good news right up front for everyone to see the glorious news of who Jesus is and what he's done to reconcile man back to God. And, and, and it's the great news in church, the best way I can say it, is the good news is that I can't, but Jesus did. I can't, but Jesus did. And it's this wonderful news that what God demanded of me, 
This, this God level of perfection and holiness that I could never achieve, he provided through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus switches places with the guilty rebels. And the one man who ever came to earth who deserved heaven endured hell so that the rest of us who deserved hell could experience heaven with our Father. And that is the good news that, Lord willing, I will preach until the day I die. That's what the gospel means to me. That's what I believe the scripture says. So if that's the gospel, we are called to be gospel-centered. What's that mean? It means it's not just part of what we do. It's not just a little side part of, of the church. See, often I think we think of the gospel, you know, we think, we think of like door-to-door evangelism, okay? That freaks you out, right? And, and we think of kind of the gospel as, as we come up to someone and we give them the wordless book or maybe you hand them a gospel track. Here's the Romans road. Here's the four spiritual laws. And, and the gospel is this ticket that gets people into the club. And that's kind of all it is. But the gospel, man, I'll tell you what, we, we, we don't graduate from the gospel. We don't, we don't move on from the gospel. The same good news that saved me, that saved us, is the same good news that grows us and sustains us. It is the center, it is the foundation of literally, and I hate misusing that word, but literally everything in the universe. See, this is not just a personal thing. I mean, think about time itself. (laughs) What do we revolve our calendars around? B.C.A.D., before Christ, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Time itself is revolved around Jesus' advent to earth. And then we, we peel back and we look at the entire universe. Again, literally the entire universe. At the end of Revelation, it says through the resurrection of Jesus, he started something that will be completed in that time. And he says, behold, I am making all things new. All of heaven and earth is being rescued from the power of death, restored to the original condition of Eden to move forward in the way that God had originally intended. The redemption of the entire universe revolves around Jesus Christ and his finished work. And that's why everything that we aim to do here at Peninsula Grace is gospel-centered. Two implications. Number one, A, it means trusting Jesus for every aspect of my life, not just my salvation, but my growth, every aspect of my life, because our default setting is self-effort. And what Paul says in Romans chapter one is he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, of the good news. Why? For it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. What's the power? Not my vain petty attempts to impress my God. It's the good news that Jesus did for me and what I could never do. But it's not just the ticket in. It's not just this initial salvation and then we move on from the gospel. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, he says, therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus, the same way that you initiated this process, that's the same way you're going to continue. So walk in him. The gospel that saved me is the gospel that I center every footstep of my life around from here until the grave. He says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. We stick our roots in the gospel and we grow through the grace and power of the gospel of Jesus. And to live a gospel-centered life, 
we're going to accomplish this mission of presenting everyone complete in Christ, it must be done through the gospel. Because, listen, it's not self-effort. We are trying to gain, so often in our lives, what Christ has freely given for us. That picture off in a desert, and you go out with this pickaxe, and you go, man, I really need some water. And so I, I, I roll up my sleeves, I flex my muscles, and I start hacking at the ground into the sand, hoping I can get deep enough to find some water to sustain myself. And God goes, quit trying to win what I have already freely given you. He says, get away from the desert and come over here and stand under the waterfall of my grace. And I want to lavish on you freely what you could never win by your own efforts. And what happens? See, our default, why why is it our default to work for what God has given us? Well, if I can earn it, then I get the credit and I get the glory. Remember we said that we are sinners who reject the glory of God and want to glorify ourselves. But in the gospel, we see that Jesus did for us what we could never do, and therefore it's from him, and therefore he gets the credit, and he gets the glory. And that's why we exist, is to glorify our Father. And we do it by believing the gospel. The second implication is that it means seeing everything through the lens of the gospel. It's the way we see everything else in our lives. Again, our default setting... The default switch as sinners is not to be gospel-centered. It is to be self-centered. You and I were born self-centered. This means no one had to teach you to be self-centered. If you are a parent up in this place, you know this. You did not have to teach your child. Listen, Johnny, when you don't get your way, I want you to lay down on your stomach and start flailing your hands and arms and screaming like a little baby. You didn't have to teach them that, right? They knew that. You don't have to say, man, quit sharing all your toys, right? With being such a Mother Teresa, consider yourself every once in a while. You did not have to teach that to your children. We were born putting ourselves in the center of our own universe. And to to move from being self-centered to gospel-centered means transferring the center focus of our universe, our reference point from ourselves to Jesus. So what does this look like? You see, if I'm self-centered... All of my decisions, all of my thoughts are based around me. So you got up this morning to come to church and you put on some clothes, Lord willing. And you looked in the mirror and you go, man, how do I look, right? Does this make me look fat, right? Are people going to like this outfit? And you think about your conversations with people. Man, did I come across, did I sound smart in that conversation? Was I funny, right? Was I spiritual enough in that conversation, and then we go to work and we go, man, like were people impressed by that day of labor? Nobody's ever seen anybody work like that. Or maybe it's the opposite. You go, man, everybody hates me. I need to get out of the way. I don't want anyone to look at me. Either way, it's self-centered. And we, in very sneaky ways, make our entire lives all about us. But this transfer of the universe from myself to Jesus means that everything that I do, every conversation that I have, Every action, thought, and word of my life is centered around Jesus. And now I have a conversation with somebody, and I'm not thinking, man, how do, how do I look good in this conversation? It's how do I honor the name of Jesus in this conversation? How do I point people toward Jesus in this conversation and show him he's all I need and he's all they need? It's this move from being self-centered to selfless, thinking about other people. It's the law of love to put other people before us. And because I have all my needs met in Jesus, I'm now free come to other people, not worried about what they think of me, but that they might know Jesus as Savior and Lord and life. 
And I don't look at people anymore as, are they smart? Are they dumb? Are they likable? Are they unlikable? They're a sinner imprisoned by sin, and they need to be freed. And the only way they're going to be freed is through the gospel of Jesus. And so what we're proclaiming, when we're gospel-centered, what we're really saying, to be gospel-centered is to be Jesus-centered. The good news of Jesus. It's a relationship with a person. The gospel is not just a set of facts that we need to memorize. It's a person. It's who he is and what he's done. But here's the, the reality. is that It's not just that I'm called to be gospel-centered. It's that we are called to be gospel-centered. The gospel-centeredness of our lives happens in the context of a, of a community. Last point. On the glorious day, on the glorious day, when Jesus comes back, and our faith is made sight, and God presents us to the Father, complete in Christ. It is not going to be a presentation of individuals. It's not going to be, here's Justin, and here's Mary Jean, and here's John, and here's Alan, and here's a bunch of... It's going to be a presentation of one bride, is what the scripture says. And that doesn't mean he's going to just pick one of our gals, and she's going to be the representative. It means that we are going to be presented as a body, together. This is the picture that Paul paints in Ephesians chapter 5. He's talking about husbands and wives and the way they, they interact, because really, I'm not talking about husbands and wives. This is a picture of Jesus and, and, and the church. He says, for husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. So here, Christ is pictured as the bridegroom, and the church is pictured as his bride, his collective bride. He says he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her, not to present them individually, to present her as one to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. To be presented complete in Christ is to be presented as one body in the presence of our God. This is why we pictured a bride on the artwork of our series in this study. And some of the dudes are like, oh, I don't like that. It's a chick thing. Well, in the name of Jesus, get over it, right? Deal with it. This is biblical, right? Smite you. I won't smite you. The beauty of what Christ is doing as he's building the church is not just that he's prevent, preparing a bunch of individuals, but he's making one multi-ethnic or from every tongue, tribe, and nation, one multi-ethnic, diverse, and yet unified community, complete in Christ together. And that's why the New Testament always pictures us in these collective terms. We're the body of Christ. We're the building, the temple of Christ. It's many parts that make up one whole. You see, like it or not, when you were saved, you were brought into, born into a family. So, like, let's think about it in physical terms. When I was born into this world, I was not born into a vacuum. I was born into a family. And here's the, f oh, let's see, did I skip it? What am I doing? Oh, yeah. We're called into a community, you guys. Um, <laughs> three implications. First one's we're called into a community. All right, save that thought. I was about to show a cute picture of my family, but we'll get there. Ephesians chapter 4. Paul is not vague here, calling us into a community. He says there's one body, one spirit who is called the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, if you're good at noticing patterns, something stands out there, right? It's that we're called into community. 
just like we're saved into a physical family, right? When I was born, I was born into the Frank Kino family. Here they are in all their Italian glory. I'm at the top there in the adorable little sailor costume, right? And I was born, I have a father, a mustachioed father, and a mother, and siblings, and aunts and uncles, and there's my, my grandfather who's now passed away. His faith has made sight. And some crazy uncles. Uncle Terry there, top left, he loves Jesus, but the man is nuts, right? <laughs> He's crazy in Jesus. And I was also born on the other side, the Garling family. Here we are a few years later, Justin rocking the parted down the middle look. Man, need to bring that back. And just like when you're born into a family, when you're born again, you're born into a spiritual family. Crazy uncles and all. So just like when it's Christmas time and you celebrate with your family, I'm sorry to tell you, but this is your circus and these are your monkeys, right? I mean, this is the family that you're into. And this is the, the, the family of God, the dysfunctional, hypocritical, sinful family that we're called to live in the community with that Jesus is cleansing from the inside out to make us look more like Jesus. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. No one can say, well, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. I'm sorry, that is not a thing. That is not a biblical concept. We are called into this family, warts and all, trusting Jesus. Second implication is that we're called to love in community. Scripture doesn't just tell us that we're called to just kind of be together. It says how we are supposed to interact with one another. And in the New Testament, there are 59 passages that speak to one another. How we are to treat one another, which is summed up in love. And so you consider this. And I loved Andy, Andy, Andy Stanley was talking, and he was talking about, you know, in church. So here we are. We don't have pews. We got fold-out chairs. But it's the same concept. Here we are all sitting in rows together, right? Eyes faced forward, hopefully. And this is what Andy Stanley says. He says, Whenever sitting in, when everyone's sitting in rows, you can't do any one another's. You can't do any one another's. And, and what he's not saying is, okay, well, we'll just circle up our chairs, right? And then we'll problem solved. What's he saying? We're called into community together into something deeper than just Sunday morning's good. We're called into something deeper than that. And you look at these one another's in Scripture. Here's just a few of the 59s. We cannot be at peace with one another right here in the church service alone. We can't be live in harmony. We can't love and serve and carry each other's burdens and be patient and forgiving and bear with one another, encourage one another. We cannot do these things only on Sunday morning. We are called into something deeper and sweeter, into relationship with one another. All you can do right now is sit, look forward, get off of Facebook, right, and look at me. I can see some of you and what you're doing. I know, I know. We're called to spend real time with each other, to share meals together, to have our kids play together. We're called to, to read the word together, to pray together, to take off the masks and be real with one another. This is what we were created for back in Eden and what Jesus is redeeming us unto right now is to make us a gospel-centered community. We're called to live in community, to love in community, and finally we're called to grow in community. Again, our mission is to present everyone complete in Christ together. Look at the process. Paul, later on in Ephesians 4, he talks about this. He says, this will continue, the building up of that one body, that's the context. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son. So it's not just that I believe and know Jesus. It's that we together, one faith, one Jesus, knowing 
and, and believing Jesus together, that we will be mature in the Lord. Remember, that's the, the word, the understanding of complete in Christ, a maturity in Christ, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And, and here's some implications. It says, then we will no longer be like immature children. We won't be tossed and blown by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. So think about a herd of caribou. When one of us strays off, easier to get picked off by the wolves. And he says, man, if, if you don't stay together, it's going to be easy for some of you to get picked off by the lies of the devil and of this world and of our hearts. He says, we're called to grow together, to stay together. He says, instead, we'll speak the truth in love to each other, reminding each other of what's true so that we will not be deceived by the lies. In every way, more and more like Christ, who's the head of this body, we never can forget that, the church. He says he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I love this imagery. He says, man, each of us have a gift. Each of us are part of the body. And he, Jesus is going to make us all fit together, this crazy family, come together and be this beautiful thing that works and grows together. I was reading this, this article recently about this little girl. Her name's Lily Mae Queen. And she's from Britain. So that makes her Lily Mae Queen of England. <laughs> that was bad. All right. And Lily, at 11 months old, was diagnosed with something called Beckwith-Weidman syndrome. And what this is, it's this, this disorder where uh, the right side of her body is growing faster than, than her left side. There's huge implications for this. And you can see this boot, the, the one on the left there has a thicker sole, uh, because with one leg longer, it made it almost impossible for her to walk as a child. And it, it caused these extreme pains in her back and in her legs. And then one side of her tongue was, was larger than the other side. And so even trying to, to feed as a child or to try to learn how to talk. It was extremely difficult, and she was susceptible to seizures, and much more susceptible to cancer and to tumors in her body. In other words, this is not how she was intended to grow. Now, the good news is, is they were able to, to treat her, and she's alive and doing very well today. But the point is clear. Our bodies were designed to grow in concert with one another. Now, now hear me, I'm not saying that every single one of us is going to grow at the same rate. We're all over the place spiritually in this room today. But the call is to grow together in the context of a community. And that each part of the body of Christ is vital. And if one part's not growing, if one part's suffering, the entire body suffers. You see, being a part of the body of Christ is not just showing up to church on Sunday mornings. It's not just getting involved in a few programs. But the beautiful thing is that what God has called us to, he's also designed for us to hunger for. You see, I meet with people uh, often. I get together with lunches and, and conversations. And as I ask people, man, how can I pray for you? What's going on in your life? One of the number one things I hear is, man, I'm lonely. My family and I, we're, we're lonely. And it's a dark, long, cold, hard winter. We just don't know anybody. We're not plugged in with anybody in a real relationship. We desire, we hunger for that. And when we can't find it in healthy venues, we go look for it other places. We can go to the local bar. We're going to get onto social media and try to kind of fabricate a community for ourselves. We're going to look for it wherever we can find it. And you and I, we were created for authentic relationships and love and care for one another. And you look at this, man, statistics show in the church, they say 90% of 
of people who come to a church. So they, they're coming to visit a church. They're going to stick around. They're going to they're plug in and become a permanent part of that church if three things are happening. Three things are happening. 90% of people stay if all three things are happening. Number one, they can articulate their faith. In other words, most importantly, that they know Jesus. Jesus is the draw. But then also, these other two factors come into whether or not they stay with that particular church. Number two, they belong to subgroups. And this list at a choir, a, a home Bible study, a Sunday school class, you know, a home group, some sort of smaller subset of people that are looking each other in the eyeballs, not just sitting in rows. And then number three, it says they have four to eight close friendships within the church body. So not just that you're in a choir or in a home, a home, a home Bible study, but that you actually have connected, and not just with one or two people, Four to eight people, that's a community. He says if those three things are happening in someone's life, they will be a vibrant, flourishing part of that church. And notice, it's not whether or not they liked the worship music. They might stay around for a few months because of that, but that's not what it's going to be for the long haul. And it's not whether or not they liked the preaching. I'm off the hook, baby. I can preach whatever I want. That doesn't matter. No. This can only happen in real life real relationships. This is what we're called to. This is what our hearts desire. Are you engaged in gospel-centered community? We cannot one another from the pews. At the end of the service, Sherry Taylor's uh, done a fantastic job kind of housing the Welcome Center for us before church and after church. We just have a lot of information for people. A lot of people who are new here, praise the Lord, and, but really don't, you don't even know how to get plugged in. Maybe you want to, but don't know how. I just encourage you after the service to see Sherry in the back um, and, and talk with her. We've got home groups. We've got Bible studies. We've got many ways to get plugged into a deeper level of community, but it takes, the onus is on us to take that often scary step, shake someone's hand, I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper. So, so what's God's vision for our church? What, what kind of environment fosters presenting everyone complete in Christ? So if you close your eyes with me again, and we'll kind of transition here. Here's what I think God wants our church to look like based on his word. His word. I want you to imagine for a second with me. Imagine it, walking into a group of people. And this group of people they are different than any other group of people you've ever met. This group of people just accepts you right where you are, warts and all. They say, just come as you are, take off the mask. Man, you can be a part of our dysfunctional family. And these people, man, you just watch them interact with one another, and it's insane the way they care about each other's needs. They see someone who's, who, who doesn't have enough money to make ends meet, or they see, they see someone with, with this down in the dumps, and they just, they, say, they just throw everything in and say, we want to help that person, we want to love that person. It's actually kind of weird how much they care about each other. And they're just always getting together and, and talking together and eating together, and not just eating, but like loving. They got the Italian hands flying in the air, and they're spitting food out of their mouths, they're laughing, and they're just always praying together. And most of all, this group of people is just geeking out about this guy named Jesus. And they're always worshiping together. They even like break out in song at random times, like the Von Trapp family. They're always just thanking him and trusting him in the midst of their anxieties, in the midst of their hurts, in the midst of their addictions. They just keep saying, Jesus is all that we need. This is the kind of community not, we're not a perfect community right now, and until this other side of glory, we will not be. But this is the kind of community that we're called to be. This is the vision of a gospel-centered community. And this is not just any community. It's not the Elks Club. It's not like the Crochet Club. This is the gospel-centered community, meaning it's a community of people who trust Jesus 
as their source of life, who follow Jesus, who obey Jesus, who are all about the person of Jesus. And you and I, we cannot manufacture this kind of community in our power. This has got to be Christ in us, but the good news, the waterfall of God's grace is everything he has demanded of us, he has supplied through Jesus. Father God, I pray for us as this community. Man, we are a jacked up, dysfunctional group of people. We've got all sorts of sin issues. We've got all sorts of hurts. We've got all sorts of habits. Father, you love us. And not just us individually, but you love us as a body. Enough to send Jesus to die in our place. Enough to win us back and and not just get us through the door, but to, to make us together this healthy, vibrant body that's growing together, that's being rinsed of her sin, that's being going to be one day presented spotless, blemishless before God as your bride, as the bride of Christ. And I pray for my brothers and sisters and, and maybe those in this room that don't know you, that today they'd take that step forward, the gospel, to move from a self-centered life to a Jesus, to a gospel-centered life. And take their trust away from themselves and put it onto Jesus. And no self-effort will win for us what freely we have been given in Christ. And maybe someone today, Lord, needs to take that step toward community. They've been coming to church for a long time, but that's kind of as far as it's gone. And they don't know the richness and, and, and the vibrance and the messiness and the ugliness of what it is to attempt to walk with Jesus together. And they would take that step today. Father, all of this is only possible through the grace of Jesus. This is not our self-effort. This is not about getting a bunch of merit badges on our sash. This is about knowing Jesus and making him known. May we be the kind of church that you've called us to be, that we will only be through your power. A holy, spotless bride, presentable in the sight of God by the grace of Jesus. It's in his beautiful name that we gather together, that we grow together, and that we pray. Amen.